Hello, and welcome to the Spring Podcast, where socialist ideas take action. I am your host, Laura Conrad. The Spring Podcast is recorded from Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people, and is produced by the Spring Socialist Network. Hello and welcome everyone to this special elections episode. I'm pleased to be here today with Dave Bush. Hello, Dave. Hello. Dave, can you share a little bit about your background and how you became involved with Spring? So yeah, I've been a, a longtime socialist and, and organizer in various social justice campaigns and in the trade union movement. Um, I'm also involved with Spring uh, proudly, and I, uh, I write for Spring, and I also help uh, edit the magazine. So, Dave, can you tell us what is at stake with this current election, the key issues, and which, if any, parties do you think have a chance at taking proper action to address the key issues that are currently facing Canadians? So this election, um, you know, is coming off the back of a very, I think, intense period for so many people in Canada, right? We're talking about a, a worldwide pandemic, an economic crisis, and a lot of uncertainty going forward about the future, let alone um, the background noise of a growing climate crisis. You know, we're talking about massive heat waves, forest fires, um, and something that is not going to go away and only intensify um, the existing sort of contradictions and crisis in capitalism. And I think that the question really about this election is what's going to happen in terms of what kind of recovery are we going to have from the pandemic? What kind of recovery are we going to have from the economic crisis? And in, in many ways, it comes down to a question of who's going to pay for that? And on top of that, how are we going to even begin to address the climate crisis, which thus far, the Canadian ruling class uh, has really not uh, addressed in any kind of meaningful way in terms of trying to actually mitigate and tackle climate change um, that can stop not only the worst outcome, but actually uh, build something uh, better and more just coming out of that. And so those are the kinds of, I think, bigger frame, like the bigger framework that is uh, underlying this election in terms of what's at stake. Now, the election was called because the liberals, um, who have a minority government, essentially want to leverage their position into a majority government. And the thinking is probably this on their part. They, they had spent a lot of money addressing uh, the pandemic and the economic crisis, spending hundreds of billions of dollars trying to prop up capitalism pouring hundreds of billions of dollars into businesses' pockets, also unrolling uh, programs like CERB to see workers through uh, the crisis, and um, you know, having a fairly successful vaccine rollout. So I think Canada's coverage of, uh, of vaccination rates is, is fairly high uh, 
when you put it in a global context. Now, I think that they thought that they could um, run essentially an election and say, we, we deserve a majority because we handled the pandemic, you know, re relatively well compared to other states uh, across the world. Um, and also that many of the supports, the economic supports that they were um, relying on and have been quite popular. So CERB has been quite popular, right? Because it saw many people through the crisis are, are set, to, set to run out and that people are quite unsure about what the economic impact is when a lot of these government supports um, for workers, uh, for business, when they run out, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with the Canadian economy? It's a bit of a mystery. And I think the Liberals would be keen to have an election during a period where it's not run out. Having said that, that was the Liberal thinking about wanting this election. And there was a lot of, frankly, hubris in their election call that no one really particularly wanted an election, um, that everyone assumed that the Liberals would be uh, winning a majority government. And uh, a couple of different factors have played into their um, sort of, I would say, sluggish start to this campaign. Um, and one of them is... Uh, is the, the rise of the Delta variant and a lot of people unsure about what that's going to look like and unsure if you know, it was wise uh, to call an election during that period uh, of the rise of Delta. And um, the other is the, the Canadian ruling classes pr project of, of liberal interventionism, which um, both the liberals and the Tories have supported over the last 20 years to varying extents. Uh, has been really called into question by the um, uh, absolute collapse of the, the existing Afghanistan government and the withdrawal of, of Western troops, uh, American troops from from Afghanistan and putting putting, I think, the liberals on, on a bit of a back foot on that regard. What do plans for a just recovery mean for the Canadian working class? Yeah, so every single party is is running on a version of uh, just recovery of what our recovery from the pandemic and economic crisis is going to look like, right? So, I mean, the conservatives talk about secure the future, and other parties are talking about a just recovery. Um, you know, and and the NDP is talking about taxing the rich, and I think that that's a, actually a quite a good move for them in terms of um, trying to understand that we're not all in this together, that there is at the heart of Canadian society and what's going to shape the recovery is systemic um, inequities and raging inequality that is rife in our society. And the Tories are, um, I think, running a interesting campaign for the Tory party. As in, O'Toole has tried to soften the edges of the Conservative Party and tried to present himself as a, as a friend of workers. And you can kind of see this in what they're 
talking about um, in their platform, but also what they're highlighting um, on the campaign trail. So they're talking about um, doing good things for gig workers and putting um, workers on boards of federally regulated companies and um, opposing, you know, uh, certain types of trade deals that might be bad for workers. Now, if you actually dig deep in their policy, a lot of this stuff is quite regressive. It's actually very bad. But how they're trying to frame it is uh, that O'Toole is a friend of, of workers. And I think you can kind of draw a couple of different conclusions from this. The first is that the entire um, debate in this election has moved in many ways to the left. And what I mean by that is that every single party is committed to spending uh, or committed to deficit spending, i.e. borrowing money and spending it on either social programs, uh, amping up uh, funding for, uh, you know, tax credits or, or whatever it is, it's more money is being spent. Um, and that is a definite sea change compared to the last uh, couple of different elections. So in 2015, you have to remember that the NDP ran on balancing the budget and the liberals ran in a quote, more radical or left position of spending a deficit of a couple of billion dollars uh, to get the economy going. In 2019, that sort of shifted a bit, but now the question is no single party, even the conservative party is even committing or attempting to get back to some sort of balanced budget within the decade, within the 2020s. Meaning that I think every single party is willing to spend money on things like healthcare, on some sort of version of uh, childcare. Now the Tories are actually against the national childcare program, but spending money on a child tax credit or something like that. Um, and, and things like housing, etc. cetera. Uh, and you can kind of see also from the Tory party's rhetoric that they're not running a viciously anti-union campaign, that they're not running to smash workers um, in a way that Harper, for instance, one of his main enemies that he would frame would be, be unions and things like that. So this is quite a difference I think, um, in, in this election as, as opposed to other elections. Now, it's hard to know how this is all going to play out over the next couple of weeks, whether this will be successful Tory strategy or not. Um, but I think that when you see both the Liberals and the NDP trying to frame themselves as a uh, uh, spending lots of money, um, bringing in new um, public services and programs like uh, Pharmacare, for instance, competing Pharmacare plans, um, trying to bring in a national child care plan, which would be historic. Now, devil is always in the details, but these things would be major advances. Both parties, the NDP and Liberals are promising to deliver 10 uh, paid sick days for federally regulated workers and also convene 
a uh, and try to commit to get the provinces to follow suit, which is a huge deal if we were able to um, advance something like paid sick days, uh, make them permanent employer paid for, for all workers. And then I think, uh, you know, people are talking about things like housing and climate change and, and trying to deal with those. Now, I think a lot of the actual plans put out are not up to snuff, um, but the fact that people are running on, on them uh, means that in many ways, the conversation, I think, has moved to the left, even though I do think that there's a lot of dangerous um, and reactionary conclusions from, from some of the ways, especially which the Tory party and maybe the PPC are, are out there talking about issues. Like, so I'll give a, for instance, that I do think that the Tory party, for, in, for instance, is running um, using nationalistic language, xenophobic language, running, um, and if they were to advance in this election, the Tory party, I, I don't think, I think that's going to be a big time blow to the migrant justice um, cause, right? Because they're no friends of, of, of migrants. And I also think that, you know, when parties are trying to, for instance, blame the housing crisis on foreign entities, um, foreign home buyers, as opposed to looking at the systemic problems in the housing market, uh, I think that that to me is is worrisome. So, do you have any hope that any of the parties running would be able to tackle these serious issues? that Canadians are facing? So the way I think about this is less about, oh, if we elect this party, things will be solved. Now, I do think like, for instance, I will vote NDP. And I think that the NDP is running to the left of what the NDP normally has over the last several elections. Um, and Jagmeet has been running a good campaign talking about taxing the rich, talking about um, pharmacare, talking about the need for public services. These things are, 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 are positive. And I also think that, you know, the NDP's relationship with the working class, it is largely seen as and is a working class vote. Most working class voters disproportionately um, support the NDP in terms of its base. Um, and so I think any kind of advance for the NDP would be a positive thing. Now, just voting, though, is is really going to get us only so far, which is not that far. Um, and the more important part is to be able to leverage this discussion and to leverage uh, the, uh, the sort of attention that um, the issues uh, are getting during this election. So how do we talk about during the election and after the election about the need for paid sick days? How do we talk about during the election and after the election, the need for affordable public housing? How do we talk about during the election and after the election, the need for um, 
you know, end to misclassification uh, for of workers and uh, $20 minimum wage and climate justice. And how do we talk about on a go forward basis, like, um, you know, improving healthcare, spending more money, implementing dental care, um, implementing pharmacare and childcare. How do we talk about indigenous sovereignty um, on a go forward basis and using the attention of the election to be able to leverage our campaigns to dig deeper, to go farther. And I think that that to me is the most important thing, right? Because simply the idea of going in and uh, like taking that 30 seconds, marking that ballot is only sort of a very small sliver of democracy. Most people's experience with the democratic process is reduced to an election, right? Which is a very narrow window in what, what I would argue is what we need is more fulsome sort of understanding and practice of, of democracy. And you can see why, because most people's underlying experience in the day to day um, is, you know, working, surviving, um, paying bills and all those things. Right. Um, and and the underlying sort of fundamentals of capitalism drive us to, like, compete for jobs and to scratch, scratch out a, a living and pay our bills and all that stuff. And what the socialist uh, um, theorist Lukash talked about was like, well, on a day-to-day, people's experience of capitalism is we're pulverized, we're atomized, we're separated, we're just getting by. And the election, in many ways, replicates a bit of that because how do we understand democracy? It's a very individualizing experience of going into a, a voting booth and marking a box by yourself, where we need to expand the horizons of that in terms of our practice and outlook and to say, all these issues that you that might motivate you going in into the election, whether that's housing or healthcare or indigenous sovereignty or Palestine or the fight for racial justice or climate change, those things matter. They matter right now. And we need to find a way to connect that uh, on a go forward basis after the election to build movements and campaigns that empower people that create the conditions or change. Okay, so how can Springers and other activists, um, what role should they play during an election to harness that power? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a number of different things you can do during an election. I think, um, you know, this election isn't that long. I think it was like 35 days, the legal minimum. Um, but during an election, I think it's like, how do we conduct ourselves as socialists, for instance, or, or people who are motivated by these issues, which is um, keep campaigning on those issues, keep talking about those issues. So, for instance, like I'm part of the Justice for Workers campaign. I, I'm a participant in that campaign. I'm going to go out canvassing on that campaign. I'm going to talk about a $20 minimum wage. I'm going to talk about why every single worker needs 10 paid sick days. And I'm going to use and talk to people in my own networks, in my community, in my neighborhood, and uh, try to connect that issue with the federal election in a way that helps us be a launching pad towards 
um, building a broader base for those ideas and support for those ideas after the election. And you can kind of do that with other issues, right? And thinking about, um, you know, there's going to be a spotlight on, on foreign policy in this election. What's our role in, in Yemen? Why are we sending, um, you know, arms and to Saudi Arabia to commit war crimes and to use the election, write articles, uh, participate in protests, get people signed up for campaigns that, um, like labor against the arms trade that are dealing with that. Same thing, um, you know, with Palestine. How do we keep, um, leveraging this opportunity of more people paying attention to those kinds of questions and to say, what is Canada's role in the world? And what, what kind of, um, where should we support, um, the fight for human rights and the fight for national liberation and talk about like why Canada needs to stand with Palestine and condemn the actions of Israel and stop funding Israel and stop supporting Israel in all the myriad of ways that we do. And to figure out, to write, to use the publication, to connect with existing campaigns that are doing that, um, to get other people involved in those campaigns to say, if you're motivated to vote on these things, here's how you can get involved and support them on the ground. Same thing with the migrant rights. Um, you know, the Migrant Rights Network and among, um, um, many other migrant rights groups are uh, across Canada are organizing around these issues and raising these issues in the context of the federal election campaign, but also for people to support that and to be part of those campaigns on an ongoing basis. And if we can get people involved um, in, in the democratic pract uh, uh, practice after um, after the election, I think that's a real success, right? But um, it is about leveraging that attention, um, you know, talk So you talked a little bit about how casting a vote might be um, the only way in which some Canadians participate in democracy. However, we know that um, voter turnout is usually quite low. Can you give any insight into the reasons for that low voter turnout and um, maybe give some ideas on how that can be changed? Yeah, I mean, low voter turnout in Canada in places like the US um, and some other countries, I think maybe even the UK, like have over the last 30 years been fairly low, right? I think we're in somewhere in the 60%. Uh, sometimes the US, I think, is in the 50%. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there is not a high voter turnout. Um, and one of the reasons why you see that is because that people don't feel that, you know, if they participate in an election, that their day-to-day -day experience really changes that much. And historically, uh, you know, what's happened at the federal level and even at the provincial levels that we've had a lot of governments and political parties that are fairly the same. And so uh, there are differences. I'm not saying that's not important differences, but the how that works itself out is for 
a lot of people, a lot of workers, that their day-to-day experience is relatively the same, that they are still stuck with the same bad bosses. They're still stuck with public services that aren't properly funded or under attack. They're still stuck with growing inequality um, and also trying to just generally survive, right? And that's most people's experience under capitalism is just getting by. And I think if uh, you don't see the election or elections as meaningfully changing something or as very disconnected from your day-to-day reality, that it's going to depress um, turnout. It's going to not motivate you to come to the polls and vote, right? Because why vote if nothing is going to change? And I think the way to change that is not to shame people for not voting, is not to pretend that voting, um, just the act of voting uh, is good enough. It is really about building movements and building the infrastructure in between elections to fight for real reforms that can have a meaningful difference in people's day-to-day experiences, right? Whether that's strengthening public services, whether that's improving workers' rights and employment standards, whether that's tackling climate change, um, whatever it is, that if you actually can see that those movements are advancing and that the process uh, of the election is just one step in helping to advance that and you can actually see that it might achieve something, then I think that you'll see that people will be more meaningfully engaged um, and come out and vote. But the question for me is not about getting people to vote, right? Like that's not the end goal. Voting is uh, a thing, a tool. I'm not saying people shouldn't vote, but it's a tool. The more important part is the ends, is what are we trying to build? right? We want to build uh, movements. We want to build like the uh, force for change, real capacity to um, change people's lives and expand the concept of democracy. So it's not just something that happens every couple of years or four years for 30 seconds by yourself in a voting booth. It is something where you have more meaningful say over your day-to-day experience, whether that's in your neighborhood, whether that's in your workplace, where um, instead of democracy, we essentially have uh, a form of tyranny for most people. And the idea is, how do we expand that? And the question, or again, the aim is not just to get people to vote. It is actually, how do we have a radical transformation of the world around us to create a more just society and to tackle big systemic problems like systemic racism. How do we tackle that? How do we attack um, like the climate crisis? How can we address that? Right. So what would you say to maybe somebody who their only experience is that 30 seconds in the voting booth every few years, but they are wanting to take a more active role in creating a more just and fair world. 
what would you suggest to someone like that, an actionable step that they could take today to become more involved and action-oriented towards those goals? Yeah, I would say simply this. It's like, what's what's motivating you? Like, what are the things that in your life that are, are motivating you politically and that you want to see change? And then try to find what kinds of campaigns um, reflect that, right? So whether that's uh, the, like, let's say climate is your number one issue. Well, on the 24th of September, there's going to be a, a global climate strike. Like, let's let's get involved with that. Come on out to that climate strike, meet other people who care about that issue um, and connect with them and be part of campaigns and organizations. And that the idea is, if you want to change the world, you can't do it by yourself, right? You need other people because we need to create a socially just world. That means you got to be social. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a social butterfly. It's more about you need other people to learn from, to grow with, um, to uh, struggle with. And I think that those, those are the places to actually sort of plug in. And I, I think that anybody's step in terms of whether it's signing, just signing a petition, for instance, and that people, that we have to honor that and that people, if they're motivated by an issue and they take even just a small step in advance of that issue, that is like they vote on it, that's great. They sign a petition, wonderful. They put up a poster in their neighborhood, amazing. They come to a campaign meeting, they're a rock star. And just trying to think about all the ways in which people can get involved and honor that and then build on that and not to um, denigrate any single person and try to say it is hard it's hard to be involved in lots of things it's hard to just exist and live in this world and that when people can get involved even small steps it's like how do we help and support each single person trying to take a more active role in fighting for a better world well, thank you so much, Dave, for being here. I really appreciate your time and the overview that you've just given our listeners on where things are right now and um, how we can harness the power of elections to further these important movements. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Spring Podcast. Our researcher is Sarah Saheed, and our audio engineer is Brian the Vinayaham. To learn more about Spring, please visit our website at springmag.ca. We welcome your feedback. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes, you can send us an email at info at springmag.ca.